Amen. Turn to James, if you would, chapter 2. James chapter 2. It's good to see everybody here this morning, and we're going to hit the ground running, so to speak. So uh, we have a lot of things to, uh, to, uh, to cover today. I don't normally point people out, but most time uh, church people don't mind to be pointed out. And what I mean by that, folks that grew up in church, but Mike and Kay, it's glad to, I'm glad to have you all this morning. We're buddies from years and years ago. Uh, we've, we've been skiing together. We've, uh, I'm talking to back when I was in high school and right out of high school. And so that's been a long time ago, uh, from 82. So it'd have been from 80 and 81. And that's Angela Baxter's mother and dad also. So it's nice to have him. It's nice to have all you visitors and all you folks here, but you, you see somebody from your past, you know, just jumps out at you and, uh, it's great to have them here. So we uh, started last week, and I'd love to do a review, but I just don't have time this morning. So you'll have to go back on the Internet and watch the first part of this message if you would like to. The, the title is this, Are You a Christian uh, Elitist? Okay, and I think we probably would say, well, of course not. And if you don't know what elitist is, we used the term slob, uh, it's not slob, snob last week. It uh, means the same thing, and... Uh, uh, I, I confess to you that I have been and may still be occasionally and gave a lot of examples of places that we find ourselves in a lot of times that we end up kind of being a snob about our Christian life and James addresses that. Here's the thing about it. It goes back all the way to the time of James and the first church and even before that. So in James chapter 2, starting in verse 1, James is teaching Christians about this subject. So when we read this, he says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So we can understand this morning, he's not addressing those who are not Christians. He's addressing those who proclaim to be born again Christians. He says this, We're brothers in Christ. We're believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not show favoritism. Then he gives an example in verse 2. He says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold ring and fine clothing and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in and we talked about all this last week if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say here's a good seat for you but you say to the poor man you stand here or you sit over here on the floor by my feet have you not discriminated among yourselves and became judges with evil thoughts in verse 5 my uh, listen, my dear brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? And he promised to those who loved him, but you have insulted the poor. It is not the rich who are, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you to court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him who you belong to? So if you keep the royal law found in scripture and then it gives what the royal law is, Love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing right, verse 9. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Uh, if you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you've broken the whole law. You've become a lawbreaker. So he says, if we break any of the law, we've broken all the laws. And that's a whole different message. We could talk about what Christ came. We can talk about the old law, the Old Testament. 
We can talk about the new age, the New Testament. We're under grace. We're not under the law. So verse 12, speaking and act as those, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So this morning as we finish up and get uh, move on with our activities in the morning, last week, just as a real quick review, we talked about a principle to remember. And that principle was this, that we're not to show partiality, we're not to show favoritism, regardless of a person's appearance. And like I said, I found myself in that situation before. Uh, Neil and I were talking after church last uh, last Sunday, and and I believe it was Neil, and I, I said, you know, really, I, I bring up Jamaica all the time, but my first trip to Jamaica was one of the most eye-opening experiences I've had because uh, the culture there, the people there, uh, the beads and dreadlocks and tattoos and all the different things you see didn't bother me a bit. And, and I know growing up as just all out in the country and, and kind of some of the ideals we had about things those are, uh, if you're a Christian snob, if that's bothering you, I'll just put it straight up, and that's where I was at. So, so remember that principle. The second thing we talked about is there's a problem that we need to remedy, and that's what James is dealing with. And he lists some negatives. Uh, he talks about the rich man and the poor man. You remember he talked about the rings, and that would have been somebody with all the bling on, the jewelry, the rings, the, the necklaces. He would have... Uh, been somebody that everybody looked at and said, man, that guy's got some money. And they would want it to make him happy. I told you all that story about uh, the uh, when Ronald Reagan and his wife came into the church and the usher uh, had some, some uh, college students move because they were in their seats where they normally came to church. And the pastor said, that'll never happen again while I'm pastor of this church. Because really, you would say, well, this morning, uh, if... I, I got to use a better example than our president. If uh, if uh, maybe our uh, somebody names somebody Roger Stallback, okay, maybe if he comes in and says, you know, I really like sitting on this row, uh, we might be inclined to say, would y'all mind if we let him sit here? And and if we do, then we're kind of thought fall into that Christian snob of saying, you know, well, there's favoritism so there. So this morning, as we get started, the third thing, and this is the kind of the answers to the first two questions or the first two uh, things that James is teaching the church here. He says there's a principle that we should adopt. So the first five verses in James uh, kind of in, invites the, the believer to adopt a new perspective this morning. And I want us to, uh, I don't invite all of you who are Christians to, to, uh, to adopt a new perspective this morning. Uh, and first he says that showing favoritism is wrong because it's inconsistent with God's methods. Look in verse 5 if you're there in James chapter 2. In verse 5 it says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those that love him? And then Paul writes again at Corinth, uh, the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians one twenty-five, Because of the foolishness of God is wiser than man... And the weakness of God is stronger than man, for you see your calling, brethren, that not brethren, that not many wise among you to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put 
shame to those things which are mighty, and the base of all things of the world are the things which are despised by God, that God has chosen, and God and the things which are not, to bring nothing to the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, you're going to have to read that. I don't have time to go back and straighten all that out, but that's a good passage to preach on also. But what, James, what uh, Paul is saying there is those who are mighty, those who would say they have clout because of certain things, he says mighty, noble, uh, according to the flesh. God has not chosen those people because of those things. The world would look at somebody and say, you know, that person doesn't have anything. That's who God has chosen now. Does that mean there's something wrong with those things? Not at all. It's their perspective and it's what they, how they view themselves is a problem in God's eyes. And as I said, we kind of got to move through that. But, but know this, this perspective, when we show favoritism, is inconsistent with God's mercy. That's what Paul is teaching. That's what James is teaching. When we show favoritism, whether it's by, by accident, whether it's on purpose, it's going against... God's law. The second thing is we think about this. Uh, the first, it's wrong because it's inconsistent with God's message. Secondly, favoritism is wrong because it's inappropriately given to the conduct of the rich. Again, in verse 7 there, it says, but you have been, uh, but you have been dishonored by the poor. And then he lists a question. He says, does not the rich oppress you? Do they not drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? Now, evidently, this church at James, the rich people of the community were slandering the Christians of the community. And they were dragging them to court by all kinds of things. You know, Jesus taught a lot about taking people to court. He taught a lot about the law and about how, how people take, drag people into court for reasons just to get money. That's something we still do today, isn't it? Now, we might not say we, but I say as a, as a country, if you would say, well, uh, I can't think of anything like that. Well, turn the TV on during the middle of the day, and you'll get 14 ads that said, did you stump your toe in a restaurant? Well, call me. I'll get everything you deserve. <laughs> you deserve that. Did you get run into by a truck driver? Well, call me. I'll get you everything you deserve. I mean, over and over and over, people are saying, let's drag them to court. I'll get you a million dollars. I'll keep 700000 You keep 300000 But you deserve that, okay? Trust me, they're not sitting over there saying, I want to make you rich. They're saying, hey, let's get rich. Uh, poor old Doug with uh, mesothelioma, whatever it is, you know, he lived for 80 years. His commercials was, I thought, to be as lucky as Doug was, you know. But, hey, if you got mesothelioma, call me up because I can help you out. I can drag them into court. And that's what Jesus is teaching. He says, you know, you're showing special attention to those, and are they not the one who's dragging the court? Are they not the ones who's oppressing you? Are they not the one who are slandering the name of the one you serve? So the second thing, it's, it's inappropriately given that, that, that respect, that, that special conduct so often is inappropriately given. Thirdly, he says it's wrong because it's indifferent to the truth that's revealed in Scripture. It's wrong because it's indifferent to the truth. Look again in verse 8 through 11. If you really fulfill the law of the Lord according to Scripture, you should love your neighbor as yourself. When you do that, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit a sin. 
If you are convicted by the law as transgressors, for whoever will keep the whole law, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble at one point is guilty of the whole law. For he said, do not commit adultery and also do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery and do not murder, but you have become a transgressor of the law because you stumbled at another point. So, so it's indifferent that, that the truth that's revealed in Scripture. So Christians are called upon to live by the royal law, which is love your family as yourself. We don't have any problem with that, do we? But that's not what Scripture says. It says love our neighbors as ourselves. And, and this is the royal law. Jesus says in Matthew, he says, a, a young lawyer, the teacher, came to him and said, What is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is just like that. You shall love your neighbor as yourselves. On these two commandments hang the law and all the prophets. Now the teacher that came to him was Jewish. So he's saying, what in the law is the greatest law, <coughs> law that was given? And Christ says, love God with everything you have and do the same thing with your neighbors. Love them as yourself. So, so we show favoritism. We say, well, God doesn't really look at that, and that's not really in the Bible. It's all in the Bible. And it's inconsistent with the truth that's revealed in Scripture. So Jesus quotes, and he's saying, you shall love. In that, he says, singular, you. This morning, I want to ask you to do something. I'm bad about doing this. Now, I never, and I can honestly look at you and say, I don't fashion a servant around somebody. In other words, if I hear or see or, or experience something, I don't say, boy, I'm going to preach against them on that. No, I don't do that. If I did, I'd have to preach against myself every Sunday. Uh, I, I try to let the Holy Spirit lead us to what, what, he, what God wants to teach us. So I don't see problems in the church with this. I don't see areas in the church that I say, boy, we're East Delta, we need to talk about that. I just see that's in God's Word, and James taught on it. He's teaching believers, and I thought that's something we ought to cover there. But sometimes when we say, are you a Christian snob, we tend to say, I'm not, but <laughs> she is. I've noticed that in her. <laughs> Or I'm not, but boy, he is. Let me tell you what I saw him do. We kind of tend to do that, don't we? That's what that plumb line that talks about in the Bible, you know, God has a plumb line, it's always straight. We don't compare ourselves to God's plumb line. We often compare ourselves to other Christians. So this morning as we think about this, know this, that goes two ways. All right, being a Christian snob could be the one that doesn't, doesn't, take that hand and, and say, hey, we're glad you're here. It's not someone that looks and says, you're welcome for whatever. But the other side of that is, don't come in here with your arm crossed saying, all right, y'all impress me. If you want me to be a part of this church, you better show me something, okay? That's being a Christian snob. So it is kind of two ways. So James quotes and he says, you singularly ask yourselves these questions. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the church here in Jerusalem, and he says, Hey, church, I want you to think about this. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you show partiality? Do you show favoritism? And at that point, 
the light doesn't shine on the congregation, it shines on us, the church, and we're all a part of the church if we're born-again Christians. So, so that's not only on a perspective we need to adopt, but the fourth thing, there's a principle that needs to be implemented. So we adopt this ideal of, of not showing favoritism, we adopt that principle, and then, then we put it into practice. In chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says, so, uh, so speak and, do, and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty for judgment without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy and mercy triumphs over judgment. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. You know what James is trying to say? He's saying our judgment so often is without mercy. And he says, and you'll be judged without mercy. So I think that's something we need to think about. Would we, would we hold ourselves to the same standards as we look for other? I had a, a, little, uh, a little type thing that I don't know where it came from. When I came to East Delta Baptist Church, it was stuck on the copy machine, or it might have been stuck on the wall or something in our old office, and it says the hardest person to put under the correction of God's word is yourself. That is so true. The hardest person to put under the correction of God's word is ourself. It's easy for us to put everybody else under that. It's easy for me as a preacher to say, boy, y'all need to do this and y'all ought to be doing this and y'all need to stop doing this and y'all need to do that. Old Calvin Usher, a friend of mine, he, that pastor, he said, when I point one at you, I got four more pointing back at me. So, so it's not y'all, it's us as a church, and the hardest person is for us to look at ourselves and say, all right, I need to ask myself and test myself through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. Am I one of those showing favoritism? So, and am I one of those judging? One of the tests of uh, the realty of our Christian faith. If you want to have a test, if you want to say, am I truly a Christian, is how we treat other persons. That's a good test. Could you pass that test? Could you say, yeah, I, I treat everyone just like I'd want to be treated. I can pass that test. You know, there's, there's kind of a threefold reason given, and we're going to be finished here in just a second. First, he tells us that we'll be judged by our words. Now, I've got to stop here and make a disclaimer, okay? If you're a Christian, you will not be judged for heaven or hell, okay? You make that decision before you die. If you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're going to go to heaven. And at some point, you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account for what you've done with the name of Jesus. Okay? It's called the, uh, it's called the mercy seat of Christ. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. It, uh, it, it's when, when God looks at us and says, okay, what have you done with Jesus? The Bible says we have an advocate that is Jesus Christ. And that's a lawyer. And our lawyer, Jesus Christ, is going to say, God, he's accepted my blood as his pain sacrifice. But we're going to give an account for those words we spoke. Boy, look at that person. Boy, I've seen him or her do this and that. And, and they're going to say, well, what about that? God will say, well, what about that? Well, what about this? In the end, Jesus is going to say, all of that's been forgiven. And the Bible says, God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because of what we've done with Jesus Christ. But we will give account for our words. I, I, I read an illustration one time. I may have even used it at this church. It's been years and years ago. Imagine for yourself that this was a courtroom that we were in. 
And every sin you ever committed was written across these walls up here. And just written, Jake, Jake Vaughn. And then they begin to list them, begin to list them, begin to list them. Wouldn't that be embarrassing? You'd probably say, I ain't never going back to that church and I'm going to have to move out of the community. I don't want anybody to see it. I want anybody to know. Well, we'll give account for those things, but what we get in the blood of Jesus is He erases all of those things. We sing a song that says our sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. (coughs) God forgives us and He forgets those sins and they are covered with the blood of Jesus. So as we give an account for those things, as we... Lift, God lifts those things before us and Jesus Christ becomes our advocate and it says all is forgiven. So we'll be judged by our words. Secondly, we'll be judged by our deeds. So what have we said? And secondly, what have we, what have we done? He says first, so speak, that present tense. It means how we speak today. And that second, so do, is also an imperative. And what it suggests is a, is a habitual practice. So the first thing, a habit, a habitual way of life is how we speak. And then he says, put that into practice. <clears throat> so often I talk about James 1.22 that says, don't merely be hearers of the word and deceive ourselves, but be doers, put into practice what the word of God says. So here's what I want you to do this morning as we come to close. I want you to think about those that you're closest to in the church family, Okay. It may be one person. It may just be one. Might, might, to be, might not be anybody. Meet you somebody. Start talking to somebody. Befriend somebody. The people you hang out, the people you fellowship with. Now, if you've got those group of people or that one person or whatever it may be in your mind, how long has it been since you invited someone else into your circle? I'm talking about church members. How long has it been since you said, you know what? Why don't you come join us? Or, you know, I just want to talk to you a little bit. That moves us out of that comfort zone, don't it? It moves us way out of that comfort zone. I, I've said so many times, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm happy just sitting in my office. We're, if Morgan's here today, I'm happy in my office, aren't I? Just leave me alone. I always say I'm an introvert, and I always say don't get that mixed up with pervert because it's not the same thing, okay? I'm just an introvert. It takes effort on my part. It takes effort on all of our parts. Invite someone in to fellowship with. Invite someone in. Get to know them. Folks, there are some good people in this church that you don't know. I bet there are some people that I don't know very well, but, but I've got a chance to know most of you by your name, maybe a little bit about you. I've spent some time. we got a men's group. We're not meeting right now, but... That meet on Wednesday night. It's so great to be able to sit down and just talk to each other and learn more about our family, learn about where we came from, how we got here. Spend some time. There's some good people in this church, and we need to have a relationship with those people. Spend some time with those people. Not simply looking on the outside of them saying that, you know, they look a little rough around the edges or they look a little uppity or they look a little... When we do those things, we're a Christian snob. You know, I don't know that guy. I don't see him that often. And I just, I'm not that comfortable. You're a Christian snob. When we begin to do those things. Lastly, thirdly, we'll be judged by our attitudes. You know, things are not always what they appear. Things are not always what they appear. Dobie Gatlin, she was a school teacher for 13 years. She decided to travel across America, see the sights 
that she had taught about, traveling along in a truck, she was by herself alone, with a camper in tow, she took off to go across the country. One afternoon, rounding a curve on I-5 near Sacramento in rush hour traffic, her water pump went out on her truck. She says she was tired, she was exasperated, she was scared, she was all alone. In spite of the traffic jam she caused, no one seemed interested in helping. Y'all know how that is. If you've ever broke down in traffic, the best thing you can get is a American wave and get your car out of the way. Well, I would if it wasn't broke down. You know, you give me a little grace here. That's where she was at. She said, leaning up against the trailer, she prayed, God, pray, God please send me an angel preferably one with mechanical experience. Within four minutes, she says, a huge Harley drove up, ridden by an enormous man supporting a long black beard, long black hair, and tattooed arms. With an incredible air of confidence, he jumped off, and without even glancing at Dodie, he went right to work on the truck. In another few minutes, he flagged down a larger truck, attached a tow chain to the frame of the disabled Chevrolet. You knew it wasn't a Ford, because it was a Chevrolet. The disabled Chevrolet whisked it down uh, the whole 56-foot rig right off the highway onto the side street, and there he calmly continued to work on the water pump. The intimidated school teacher was too dumbfounded to talk, especially when she realized the paralyzing words on the back of his leather jacket, Hell's Angels, California. As he finished the truck, she finally got up the courage to say, thank you so much, and carried on a brief conversation. But noticing her surprise at the whole ordeal, he looked straighter in the eye, <clears throat> in the eye and mumbled, don't judge every book by the cover. Isn't that true? Don't judge every book by its color. cover. You may not know who you were talking to. With that, he smiled, he closed the hood of the truck, he straddled his Harvey, and with a wave, he was gone as fast as he appeared. Given half the chance, people often crawl out of their boxes into which we've relegated them into. Now, that's in a book called Our America. But, you know, we do that sometimes, don't we? I gave you all an example last week of a place that I did that. We do that. We just simply look at someone, judge the book by the cover, and never realize that there's more to them than that outward experience. The Bible says God doesn't judge the outward appearance of a man, but he judges the inward, the heart within I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. We're going to have a prayer, and uh, we're not going to have an invitation this morning, but if God is dealing with your heart this morning, you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you've never asked for the blood of Jesus to erase those sins that are plastered before, uh, this morning, God says, today is a day of salvation. He says that in His Word. I want you to catch me after the service, catch somebody after the service that's a Christian, say, you know, I've never accepted Christ. This moves me way past my comfort zone, but I want to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I'll help you know how to do that. It's so simple. It is so simple just to say, God, I know that I've sinned. I've fallen short of your mark, and I need Jesus' blood to cover me. I believe that he died. I believe he rose again. I believe he defeated sin and death. You can be saved. It's that simple. But there's a difference between know it in your head and know it in your heart. 
this morning, I want us to ask ourselves, that I ask myself, you know, am I a Christian snob? Have I, have I kind of been to that point of, of looking at that outer shell of a person and saying, well, I really, I don't think I can fit in with that group without truly spending some time. Lord, I pray that we'd move outside of our comfort zone. Even today, as we have lots of visitors here, move out and give that right hand of Christian fellowship introduce yourself, move out of that comfort zone and move into that zone that helps us to grow in you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.